Welcome back to the OPEX podcast where fitness is explained. I am your host, Robbie Burke, and I'm joined on today's show by Marcus Philly from Revival Strength. On this episode, Marcus and I cover a lot of topics, including Marcus's background and his influences, the good and not so good things that Marcus currently sees within the fitness coaching profession. We discuss fatherhood. We discuss Marcus's biggest lessons he has learned in his life so far. We discuss the CrossFit Games and who Marcus fancies to win the games and some athletes to watch out for. Marcus gives us his current and top book recommendations. If Marcus only had one year left on planet Earth, how would he spend that year? And finally, I asked Marcus the big question. If he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely fantastic episode of Marcus. I know you're going to love it. Stay with us. Marcus Philly, it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come on the OPEX podcast slash videocast. We also have viewers, but I'd say most people listen. Uh, thanks so much for making the time. Um, it's, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, I've been listening to a few podcasts and I've been looking into your background for quite a while now, so I really appreciate making the time. But just for the viewers and listeners who may not be too familiar who you are, which I'd imagine would be nobody uh, who has any like association with the OPEX podcast, uh, just give us your background, Marcus. Okay. Um, well, if there are listeners who are listening to the OPEX podcast uh, that don't know who I am, then I think that's a testament to how much OPEX is growing as an organization because I've been, <laughs> I've been involved with OPEX for, uh, I, it's got to be coming up on almost 10 years. I mean, in, 2000, in 2010, 2009, even, I was getting, reaching out and I was an OPEX, uh, OPT Big Dogs blogger, you mm. know, so um, wow, we're coming up on close to 10 years. But my background simply is uh, a medical student um, who left the medical field um, pursuit to find a passion and uh, a vocation in health and fitness in another, you know, realm and got into fitness coaching, um, thought that that was knew that that was going to be my calling or felt like that was my calling. Um, fitness coaching led me to seek out higher levels of education within health and fitness. And the combination of that desire to seek out higher levels of fitness education, um, along with my kind of growing and budding passion for CrossFit at the time, led me to James Fitzgerald. And I engaged in the CCP journey uh, I believe in 2010 was the first one I, as, I attended. And then from there, um, became an OPEX athlete and uh, had a bit of a successful CrossFit, you know, games career um, while working alongside James and then Mike Lee. And uh, all the while running um, a fitness business, once upon a time, a CrossFit affiliate, now currently an OPEX license. Um, but all the while trying to just deliver the best coaching that I could to my clients and uh, help them experience what I had come to learn as the benefits of, you know, being fit as it relates to the quality of your life and to the relationships and the, um, you know, career success that you can have outside of just the gym walls. Sweet. So just going a little bit further back with your uh, background. So like, you know, from when you grew up as a kid, um, 
listening to some of the podcasts you've been on, which which I'll link up in our show notes, you know, you sounded like you were very sporty. I know you were big into golf. You uh, played a bit of soccer. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe just give us more of that background, like of, you know, what kind of led you into CrossFit, you know? Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I was sporty. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> I just, I just liked, um, I just liked to be active as a kid, you know, and I tried pretty much all the sports. Um, I could say that the only sport I was truly passionate about, like where I would think about it at night and I would dream about it and I would, you know, re replay over and over again. The, the, the game was golf. Uh, I played soccer at a collegiate level for a pretty good university, but, um, what ultimately I realized was that I love soccer. I loved, you know, the, the, that kind of sport because of how physical it was and the physical nature of being a competitive athlete, pushing myself, you know, um, pushing myself in training, you know, having workouts when I was in my early teenage years where I threw up from working out so hard, like, um, that, I don't know. I, I just equated hard work and, challenge through physical you know endeavors with uh you know success and growth and you know it was positive to me it was really positive um so that really kind of carried me that that, that followed me for years and it got really it heightened in college so in college when my my understanding of of strength and conditioning went from you lift some weights on a machine to, oh, you do power planes, you do deadlifts. And I got division one, you know, strength conditioning in the US, which is very, you know, standard back squat, deadlift, bench press, power clean, power snatch, weighted pull-ups, a little bit of dumbbell work, and plyometrics and agility. And uh, and, lots of, and lots of shouting. Lots of shouting. Although <laughs> that's more reserved for like, the football teams, my soccer team didn't really do a lot of shouting. These guys were like, how can I get this workout done in 20 minutes and leave? Because I just want to go back to my dorm room. And, and, know, and avoid doing my lower body. Totally. Yeah. My coach was just like, yeah, let's just not have the guys do any lower body. I'm like, this is absurd. I just was like, I want to stay in the gym. So, but it got, it kind of really got enhanced in college. I really, I fell in love so much with fitness you know, I didn't know to call it fitness at the time. I just like calling it, you know, just, I love working out. Mm. And, um, and so a couple of years go by where I'm out of college, not playing soccer anymore, still looking to see how can I push myself to the best of my ability, try some bodybuilding, try some, you know, uh, a couple of coaches in my nearby area were, you know, check ins instructors, um, did all the check stuff that they had been doing, Paul check, um, experimented with Polican principles and programs and, um, four, three, two, <laughs> one, up. Four. Yep. Yeah. A lot of counting, a lot of counting. And then, uh, got into cycling, uh, road, road cycling for the, for a couple of years was really into, you know, just getting on my bike and, you know, 50 miles was like the best time of my day. If I could fit it in, you know, so here I am exploring all these different, I guess you call them time domains, energy systems, movement patterns, you know, styles of training. Um, and then somebody like said, Hey, you should come try this CrossFit class with me. And of course I was just open to whatever. And that really was just like a 
a light bulb went off. I was like, holy shit. You know, once I started to investigate, okay, what is this CrossFit thing? What's the website? You know, look into the philosophy and the methodology. I was like, holy shit, they're doing all the different stuff. They're doing all these things that I've done before, but in a way I didn't even, I wouldn't have thought of doing. Mm. And so I just fell down the, uh, the rabbit hole. Yeah, sweet. Man, I have so many follow-up questions. I have, a, I have a list of questions here, but I have some follow-up ones. Didn't actually know about the, the cycling. Uh, just going back to your education, why molecular biology? What got, what, were you always into science? Um, was I always into science? I was always good at science and math. So, you know, um, I think I was into science. I think science and, and biology interested me for sure. Hmm. Um, and then once I started, I kind of made it, you know, I had family that were in, um, you know, were doctors in, in, in healthcare in medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was, it occurred to me, okay, maybe I'll go into, you know, I'll do a pre-med kind of college experience, you know, or education and, yeah. Yeah. you know, of the pre-med majors, right. So like you got to fulfill all the requirements for pre-medical, you know, school. Well, 10 out of 10 of them are prerequisites for a biology degree, mm-hmm. right. I could have become a lit major, but then that would have meant I had to do all of that plus, you know, so I was just being, I was being kind of practical, which most yeah. people going into medicine, they're, they're tough. It's a tough course though. And then within that molecular and cell biology was one of the most rigorous courses, uh, excuse me, departments to get through the, the prerequisites. Um, and I, I was forward thinking, I'm like, if I have an MCB, you know, degree from UC Berkeley, that looks quite good for medical school. Um, you know, the course material wasn't like, speci- I don't think cell biology really got me like thrilled, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I was just being, I was being kind of thoughtful and practical about how I was going to best position myself to be a, a good candidate for medical school. That's funny. Berkeley, uh, I, I think I've watched the, the, the medical biology lectures. What's the, the lecture's name? Is it Richard something? Uh, Robert or? They're, I'm, they're all on IFAS University. I'm only just checking it out here. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll put those in the show notes. It's just funny you said, because I was about to say, I watched the whole Berkeley uh, molecular biology course and I found it really, really good, like in terms of just yeah. open my biology. But go into then medical school because uh, I think like a lot of people who actually end up being coaches within the fitness industry, there probably was, you know, fleeting moments in their lives where they're kind of thought about either going to do medicine or they did like in America, you guys might do a pre-med. Like, um, I, I heard you on another podcast talk about, you know, you, you did, you did the first year of medical school and then and you dropped out. My question for you was like, I, I understood why you dropped out, but like, did you not already know what you were getting yourself into? As in like, you know, kind of like most people are like, Oh, I went to medical school and I found it was all about just like, you know, uh, slowing down disease rather than like health promotion or disease prevention. Because you family members are in medicine. So like, like my kind of question is, did you not already kind of know that that was what it was going to be? Because it sounds like you were like, after a year, I was like, I realized this is what I wanted to be. But it, like, like you had family members and I thought you might have already known that going in. And then secondly, following up, why didn't you think about you could have been like, did your medical degree, but like you still could have opened up like a health or wellness facility. And, yeah, uh, and kind of like kind of being someone to change medicine a little bit to more prevention rather than like uh, prevention rather than one way covering up symptoms, if you like. Yeah, no, great, great questions. And the second question answers the first question, really, because that was why I, I went to medical school was I knew that it, I didn't want to do traditional Western medicine. 
there wasn't a specialty that excited me like, Oh, I want to go and do that because they're doing it exactly how I want to do it. Mm. It was, there isn't, <clears throat> but you knew that going, you, you knew that going. You got, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You got, yeah. I think I, you also have to keep in mind that in 2006, when I was applying to medical school, uh, 2007, I was interviewing for medical school. Mm. Show me a model out there in that year that even gave me a glimmer of hope of like, well, this is how I'm going to do health and wellness. Very true. There, no, very there, true. Weren't, there weren't fitness people. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't OPEX fitness. There wasn't individual coaching. There wasn't, yeah. you know, uh, the idea of a preventative health. I mean, like when I wrote my, and I, I'm happy to share it with you if you'd like to see it, but the, the, the essay or the, the, the letter that you write to medical schools upon application, it's like your, uh, why, why you want to become a doctor and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, fuck yeah, exactly. You should read it. It's basically me outlining what I do today in my career. It's saying, I'm, actually surprised, I'm actually surprised you got into medical school because I do that and they were, and like my friends like, oh, they won't accept you. They, they, they want just conventional thinkers. Yeah, well, I didn't get into the medical schools I wanted to get into and that I was qualified to get into. I wanted to go to University of California, San Francisco, which is just up the road where my parents worked for 40 years. And it was like my dream. And I was like, this is going to be my life. And they didn't accept me. And neither did any of the California schools that I applied to. And I was highly qualified. I mean, I was top of my class at UC Berkeley and MCB. I graduated with close to a four-point average and really good scores. Nerd. And I'm Total nerd. I've in, well, beyond nerd, I worked, you know, people have seen how hard I've worked in fitness. I worked equally hard to study for things in school and prepare in a way that was going to set me up for success. So look, I, I had a sense of wanting to go in and change things. And what I thought was I'll go to medical school and I'll kind of rely on the, you know, the skill set that I have to be a great student and to do well to ultimately find a rhythm that allows me to continue to be forward thinking and think expansively about how I want to change medicine. Mm. And the, ch the problem or the challenge was, yeah, I had an, in I had like a, a little intuitive sense that like, this probably isn't what I should be doing. And this is where I don't know. This isn't what I want where I want to take my, my life path. Um, but I didn't have another alternative that made sense to me. I didn't trust in myself to, to forge that path on my own. And then once I got to medical school, it became really clear that it wasn't like, oh, this isn't what I want to do. Because I, as I already said, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. It became crystal clear to me that eight years of medical education was going to basically strip me of any passion that I had to pursue something alternative. Yeah. That became crystal clear. And it happened within one year. I was already planning like, okay, how am I, I'm going to become a radiologist. I'm going to do what my dad did. I'm going to just, I'm just going to, you know, go down that road. Right. The thought of a preventative healthcare solution with fitness, lifestyle coaching, nutrition, relationship coaching, doctors on site, a wellness center. It was gone. I didn't give a shit about that anymore. I was just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I realized that I was just trying to survive and I wasn't, you know, doing what, felt like to me like the real work that I was supposed to be doing um and mind you I was in the midwest which out here in the united states is very different than the west coast where I grew up so I'm very I'm very far removed from my comfort zone all of that was just like uh, this is I can't I can't I'm not going to make it seven more years 
you know, cause it's one thing to get a medical degree, right? Yeah. That's, that's four years, but it's also $250,000 or more of debt later. So how do you pay that off? You got to go get a, a job that pays a, a doctor's salary, mm. but to get a job that pays a doctor's salary, you got to do four more years minimum of internship and residency so that you can become licensed and you can actually have skills that apply anywhere. Because medical students leaving medical school are pretty much worthless in a hospital. You know, they can, they can run errands for people, but they don't know how to treat patients. Yeah. So I'm like, geez, you know, this is, this isn't right for me. And, uh, I, I took a leave of absence from medical school to leave the door open. Should, should the other pursuits not work, but I didn't, I, I didn't have any intention of, uh, I, I didn't want to have to go back because I knew if I went back, then that meant that I was really out of options and, and I didn't, I wasn't going to have fulfillment in what I was trying to accomplish. No, I get that. And cause I, I, the reason why that resonates with me was because like I had very similar ambitions. Like I applied to some medical schools and, like I can even remember like writing out like the, those essays and like, it was all like, yeah, I want to, I want to like, you know, change medicine and make it more, yeah. make it, make it, make it more preventative rather than just a reduction, a reduction strategy of symptoms. And, you know, it's going to be like all about, you're going to have like, you know, uh, a physical preparation model and nutrition and it's going to be health and wellness and you know, functional medicine. And it's going to be all in this one building. And it's going to be great. And then like, I need my friends who are in medicine to like, yeah, they, they don't like that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. They, well, so I'm, I'm, in hindsight, I'm not surprised I didn't get, you know, into some of these schools. I mean, here I am talking this up in an interview with, with some, you know, uh, some doctor who does pathology. You know, he looks at uh, diseased tissue all day. And I'm trying to tell him I'm going to change the, you know, change, uh, change health and, you know, medicine and he's just like this kid's not gonna make it yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you're, you're, and you're just there like looking at these docs and they're just absolute wrecks it's like so doc tell me when's the last time you didn't drink coffee maybe had some water slept well you know had your circadian rhythms and balance when's the last time you did a bit of exercise even just a bit of walking you know, yeah just like stress to the balls like even in one of your interviews you were talking about you want to see some of the most healthiest people in the world second year med students and I, again i have friends who oh, are man. and they're they were like saying like med school he's just like one of my very good friends is a doctor and he's like when he's in med school and and like uh and he and he's a he's a you know he, he's fairly clued in like he's he's like us he's into fitness too so and he's very you know he, he gets it he gets it. he'd be one of the few doctors that gets it yeah um, in terms of just like the universe uh but he was like you know he's like these other students in his class they would just like self-medicate on like just like amphetamines coffee and he's like anytime he did go out which he didn't go out too often he's like anytime we had like a night out he's like you want to see these people they were just emotional wrecks just cocaine and everything just to get them through he's like they were just like and he's like they were just like living through their families you know these were the worst kids were the kids that had families as doctors or lawyers and just a lot of pressure on them and it was just like they were they were clearly doing something that they really did not want to do i was actually having a discussion with this friend today um i was talking about like you know you get these people who you know they're doing something they don't want to do because they're resentful for it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you, you can get people like who like people from the outside go, Oh my God, they work 80 hours a week, but they love it. It's their vocation. And they love that. And it's like, there's no judgment with it. But then you get other people who are doing 80 hours a week in some other, in some other uh, area that they deep down, they say in the surface of, Oh, I do want to do this. I do want to be a doctor deep down. They're like, no, I don't. I actually wanted to do you know poetry or music, but it just isn't mm -hmm. with parents. And then they hate it. They throw like their medicine in your face. Oh, I work yeah. eight hours a week and shift work. And it's just like, Ooh. Well here, I, I think 
I totally agree on everything you've said so far. And I do want to add one thing, which is what I've come to learn through my personal experience was that, um, I, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to press buttons with people who truly have very, um, overpowering parental figures in their life. But I do believe that there are a lot of people that kind of like to just put the label like, or put the blame on the parents for like That's leading true. them that path that they weren't, that they weren't supposed, they didn't want to be on. And like I said, it was like, I just didn't have the confidence in myself to choose a different path. Mm. So I went down the path that was most familiar to me, which happened to be what my parents did. Why mm. is it familiar? Cause it's what I grew up doing yeah. or I grew up experiencing and seeing. And my lifestyle was provided by, you know, provided for by a career in health and uh, in healthcare and medicine. So it's funny because yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, I mean, and now as a parent myself, it's like, you know, if, if my daughter wants to go into health and fitness in the future, terrific. You know, I truly want her to be happy. I have the most experience and exposure to how to make potentially a life in health and fitness sustainable so I can coach her in that, or I can mentor her in that, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to pressure her and she may one day say, oh man, I felt the pressure to go into, you know, be a psych psychologist because that's what my mom does. It's like, mm -hmm. your mom never said that, you know? And yeah. um, so the, the, the lesson, and, and I want to just say that because if somebody's listening to this, who's at a decision-making kind of fork in the road point when it comes to their career, you know, take ownership of where you're, where you're headed for yourself, yeah. you know, and know that you have the ability to truly carve out the direction that you want. And if you choose the wrong direction, you can change it. Yep. And it's easy to point the finger at other people, but at the end of the day, this is your life and your choice. And it, you have to take some ownership and responsibility over it. Yeah, absolutely. And man, listen, it's, it's all part of the journey. It, it was a great learning experience. I'm, sh I'm sure like, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure you wouldn't take any of that back because you learned so much from it and you grew so much as a person and, and it's led you to be where you are today in this current moment in time. Yeah, right. It's it's uh, looking back on painful portions of my life that were so necessary for my growth. I would never choose to do them over again. However, I'm grateful that they happened. You mm -hmm. know, so those 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 probably the three months you know leading up to and shortly thereafter the the departure from medical school were some of the darkest, most painful months of my life. Truly, being like as scared as a person you know, in my state of anxiety and pressure that I put on myself could be. And uh, I, w I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And it, it was also part of what shaped who I am today. Oof, you got some nice sound bites in there. We're going to use some of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, something I just want to make sure I said to you, uh, literally just for you came on when I was listening to your interview on Uncharted Performance, you were saying that one of your first uh, Polyquin sessions was split squats with chin-ups. And oh yeah. Would, would you believe, like, because I, 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 Pollock was nearly influencing me. I did his level one, level two. That was one of the first, like, proper, like, sessions I ever done in my life. I did five sets of, uh, five sets of Bulgarian split squat. It was only 50 kilo at the time, but uh, five sets of 10, so 50 on each leg, 100 reps, paired up with five sets of 10 chin ups. Now they were broken, the chin ups, you know. So, like, you might, mm -hmm. I think I got like 10 on the first two, and it was like, you know, mm -hmm. eight, eight, two, six, two, two, six, two, two, without a tempo. Everything was tempo four down, X up. And I just yeah. remember it was the most horrendous thing I ever done in my life. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, I, mine was, mine was a, a Smith machine back rack split squat, and then, uh, like, like a, a rope, 
like kind of like the old tricep press down deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, flipped over a bar doing chin-ups this way, kind of semi-supinated grip, and my cousin was spotting me. So I didn't have it in me to do eight to 10 reps, whatever the rep range was, but he was like assisting me. I, he made me do all the negatives and then he popped me up to the top. And uh, it was probably 50 kilos too on the split squats and I made it two sets and I was just fucking thrown up in the bathroom upstairs. I was just like, I don't I, feel right. Yeah. I, I just remember being on the ground and I was like quivering. Cause actually after that I had three sets of 12 to 15 walking lunges with inverted rows and a bar, but it was in 10, but it was just like, just like more. And I just remember yeah. being on the ground, like, and I just, I just remember my whole body shaking. It was like the first time <laughs> my, my body had been pushed anywhere before. But yeah, uh, yeah it was just, I was laughing when he said that. So uh so listen, getting into some more of the, the questions I laid out here. Uh, influences, obviously James is, has been a massive influence, but who else has been a huge influence you, not only professionally, but um, personally? Oh, um, well, I mean, I should, we should extend that to Mike Lee too. I mean, Mike has been... Um, the nicest Mike, man in the world. Nicest man in the world. Mike's also coached me at this point longer than James coached me as an individual athlete. Yeah. Um, so uh, the coaching experience with Mike has been has really shaped how I am as a coach today and a lot of my philosophies. Um, I, I know, I know there's some, uh, there's someone out there right now saying, ask him, ask him who's better, Mike or Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike is way better. <laughs> James has no, officially turned the episode off. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, oh, that's, that's not a fair, that's not, that's not a fair uh, question. Um, but you know, it's like, Mike's not who he is without James. I'm not who I am without James. Um, but I think, and I, I believe James would, you know, agree that, you know, at this phase of life, you know, Mike is, is, a, is the best coach, you know, maybe in their organization. And James isn't coaching individual athletes anymore because uh, he's spending his, you know, precious time. And I don't mean to say that in like a condescending way, like it's precious, like wherever he can put his energy is, raising fitness in a huge way so he should be doing it in, in other other avenues um but yeah i learned different things from both of them for sure um other big influences in my life um you know i guess we're just going to talk talk fitness um yeah it's i mean i think i had kind of you know and i've talked about this on some podcasts but you know there was like the years where I got kind of my first education on what it meant to like lift weights properly, that experience that I told you about with the split squats and the pull-ups was kind of like a tremendously eye-opening experience. And that was my cousin who was, I think he's like six, seven years older than me, but he was like super forward thinking. I mean, the guy knew about people that were like, that were influential in the fitness industry before way before they were names like Pollockin was not a thing back when he gave me that workout but he knew everything that Pollockin had to, to say and had studied it and tried every program and implemented it so you know my cousin Brian just was like he was 10 years 20 years ahead of of the time and um got me on a journey you know through really he probably would he probably would look back and be like oh I barely I barely coached him or barely helped him out at all, but it was just, just like seeing him, you know, take an educated look at fitness and not just go and be a meathead. Like I saw, I saw the way I approached school in science and math and trying to solve a puzzle. Mm. And I saw him do that with, with exercise. Mm. And I was like, Holy smokes. Like you can, 
you can do that. And uh, so that was, that was a massive shift in my thinking. And it happened when I was like 13 years old and you know, I got turned on to testosterone.net or T nation. And, you know, at the time there were some really great people writing for them that yeah. went on to start big companies that are super influential today. And I was reading and approaching, you know, my own little mini training uh, experience, you know, at the gold's gym under the guidance of some of the industry masters that are out there now. Um, thanks to him. So that, that to me was super influential. Um, I think that post-college, when I connected with um, like a, a local trainer here in the area, who was actually the first, you know, what I, I talked about that um, that part of my life where I didn't I didn't have a good example of what you could do to make a health and fitness career, you know, um, sustainable. So I chose medicine. Well, there was one person who was doing a pretty darn good job of it. And he was a, but he was mainly a personal trainer. You know, he was doing personal training, but using pretty good, you know, principles like holistic, you know, coaching philosophy. Hey, was, I, was he a Czechie? He was a Czechie. Yeah. He was, his name is Krishna Farnsworth and he's now uh, been through some of the OPEC CCP uh, courses and so forth. And he's still a um, local guy, still doing a great job. Um, but what, what was influential to me was that like, I, I signed on to work with him. You know, he, he coached some group fitness classes at the local Gold's gym, which basically for 10 years I found my way in and out of, <laughs> but I was doing his sports performance class as well as his, um, you know, core stability, you know, basically, it was basically like a checky stability ball, like bonanza, you know, and uh, yeah. I loved it. And so I took a couple of his classes. And then I was like, Hey, I'm, I've got this knee thing going on, I, I'm scheduled to have some surgery. Can you train me a little bit to get me prepared for that? I'd like to work with you. You know, I just trusted the guy because of what he what I experienced in his group fitness class. And I remember when I he's like, Yeah, let's do it. I remember on day one, I had to fill out this big ass form, right? It's a check form, I think, or, and he adapted it, whatever, but it was like, how do you sleep? How do you poop? Do you get boners? Like all this stuff. And I was just like, it was, it was so detailed. And I was like, oh my gosh, someone's asking me about all these things. Like I've been dealing with this stuff, but I didn't know this was somebody knew how to handle this. Got a full food inventory. We talked about food. He did the, um, metabolic the meta yeah, metabolic typing on me, gave me like my food list. So what you're going to actually eat, uh, you know, educated me on gluten for the first time um, and planted a couple seeds. Then we went and did a three hour in-person assessment, uh, which blew my mind. I mean, I didn't know what I was, what was being done, but it was like, he was coaching me or he was evaluating me. He had a, somebody working with him who was like a, you call it like an understudy intern who was like getting taught by him. So he was teaching somebody and coaching me, taking videos of my positions, you know, et cetera. Um, I got an exercise program of like a script, right. That had, you know, pictures of what I was supposed to do, tempos I was supposed to follow. I was going to do this at my own, on my own. And I was still going to come to his group classes. Uh, it was like, you know, I mean, now that I think about it, I'm like, holy shit, this is kind of what we do today, but it was just a different model and it was using, you know, uh, it was 
just using a different system of coaching and, and kind of movement principles. Um, but when I heard James's story later on in life, you know, when I met James, it's kind of the same story that James had. He kind of was a checky, kind of did a lot of check stuff. And of course, tons of other, uh, you know, mentors that he had along the way, but using some of the same principles in terms of like how he was writing and designing exercise programs for folks. And so I saw that in 2007, you know, and then I didn't even find CrossFit until 2000, like late 2008, 2009. And I didn't find James until that year either. So this was like, again, an influence, an influential person in my life. Um, when I didn't even realize it was like, I was getting super influenced on what I might do later on. Mm -hmm. So when I look back, that was like pivotal. And I was like, huh, something really happened here. And it's just, I, it, I think if I had stayed around a little longer, if I'd spent more time with him, um, I would have been able to say to myself, Hey, I can actually, I don't need to go to medical school. I can do this. But it was at this, you know, I was like, I had already been accepted to medical school. So I was like, I had a start date and I was just getting to know this guy, uh, in my year off prior to going to medical school. Really? Really? You would have, you would have been, been a checky. I probably would have. I mean, I almost did anyway. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I got to go through this whole education process. And yeah, it's yeah. funny now. It's like, I, you know, doing a lot of this functional bodybuilding stuff that we do. It's like, we're pulling out a lot of those fucking old exercises with stability ball. And you know, a lot of things like a lot of, a lot of principles that, you know, were, uh, certainly popularized by him many 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 years ago i've been looking up to interview paul twice in my own podcast but uh i i love the man i love him and uh, I, I like it's funny because you know what i could people used to give out years like people are like people it's 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 kind of evolved now like people accept like all the fucking what they would what what most people would say are like the match he talks about but i always love when he goes down the deep rabbit holes like about spirituality life and the universe more so than when he started talking about exercise because i was like yeah the exercise stuff and check yeah you know like i can yeah, you know, I, I take some. I you know I don't take some, but I was like, I love when he gets into the deep shit. I'm like, yeah, that's the stuff I want to listen to. Uh, I think he's great. I, I think you know, as 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 a profession, as a coaching profession, we do owe Paul a lot. Like you know, he he was well ahead of his time, man. I mean, he was talking yeah. about gluten like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Like his book, How to Eat Me Healthy, it was like written like in I think that came out in like two thousand four. So that came out in two thousand four. So he must have been writing that at least a year or two before that. So like that book's in the early two yeah. thousands. Like so, well yeah, ahead. That's incredible. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, Marcus, uh, a question I'd like to ask um, uh, guests on the show is the good and the not so good that they currently see within the coaching profession. So, what, 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 um, what are the good and not so good things that you currently see in the coaching profession? And with the not so good things, what solutions would you offer? Well, um, let's run through the good things. I think I see, um, I see more and more people interested in pursuing. Um, careers in you know fitness coaching mm. which i think is i think that that just shows that there's a there's a growing respect for that as a as a career path and you know a way to earn a living support yourself and potentially impact people in a positive way mm. so that's that's definitely you know and I mean, I don't know what we owe that to as a collection of things, but that's certainly um, one one thing that stands out to me. I think additionally, I think just utilizing um, just such a wide variety of um, movements and tools and training, you know, training implements. And I mean, again, like t 20 years ago, you know, or the early 2000s, like, there were like 
you could probably count on two hands the number of gyms that had like platforms in them, you know, to do Olympic lifting or, uh, you know, a pull-up bar or any of the, any of the things that we like use regularly in our, you know, coaching of clients. And, um, you know, now we, we have, that is so prevalent everywhere. And, um, you know, the tools are available for people to, you know, really expand what they can offer, uh, clients in terms of movement prescription. Um, so I think that that's, I, I think that that's super important because, you know, you may be a great coach and you may be able to give people the best prescriptions possible. Um, but there has to be an element of joy and fun in, in their training for them to really stick with anything for a long period of time. I mean, we kind of have to play the game of like, how do we keep this entertaining for the long haul, especially for gen pop people, not so much for athletes. Like athletes are like, just tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. I got to get better. But gen pop, it's like, is this fun anymore? You know, like, yeah, I'm seeing some results, but I'm having a good time. And, you know, so having playgrounds, adult playgrounds that are well-equipped and having more of them, more places, mm. you know, it, it gives people more of a chance to say, I want to spend time. Like I've got a fun adult playground here. And when people come, they see it and they know it and they feel it. And they know it's better than the one down the street because I put thought and care into what's in the facility. Um, as far as the things that are not so good that I'm seeing, you know, we, we chatted about this briefly before we hit the record button, but, um, yeah, I think, this, this is where I wanted you to go. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Um, for sure. It is the, uh, it's this growing perception amongst fitness consumers. And this is like, you, you, I think you said lay person, but just even just like the, the person who's coming to the gym on a regular basis, um, doing some type of high intensity group fitness, this perception that if I go harder and I do more, if it's more intense, I am going to be better off, healthier. I'm going to get to my results faster. And um, I think we've just, the needle has just gotten pushed too far. I think there was a time when people would go into the gym and they would kid themselves that they were actually doing exercise, you know, and there's still, I think the vast majority of people are still in that camp. They're going to, the Globo gym, they're walking, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're looking at their phone. They're like walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then they're going over and hitting a couple of machines and then they're going home. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're not, we're, we're not talking about that specific population. We're talking about like this other sort of problem. Yeah. That's a wrong we're talking about this other group. That's like, Oh, I found high intensity fitness. I realize now that you have to do a little bit of work. It has to be kind of hard for it to be successful. You know, like you can't just have somebody like, like I said, you can't just walk on the treadmill for five minutes and eat yeah, a pizza yeah. and get healthy. Um, but it went past the point of like, it takes heart, you know, you got to put in a little bit of work to get some results. And now they're like, I got to basically throw up and I got to feel totally uh, blown out every day. Otherwise I may not have actually gotten my workout in. Hmm. And, and that to me, it, it, you know, that to me is, is uh, really where I feel like I'm trying to make an influence in fitness is kind of like trying to like capture that the essence of what I just said in a message through social media, through online marketing, through my coaching programs and, and clients um, is to, to show people that, you know, if you're in that camp, that's like way over here, like I got to crush myself with the high intensity, high volume program all the time to feel good or to like see results that 
actually let's peel, let's pull it back a little bit. And here lies the sweet spot of, you know, you can feel good. You can look good. You can move well, and you don't have to spend three hours in the gym every day to, to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's, you know, you want that sort of Goldilocks effect, you know what I mean? So a lot of people, as you said, they, you know, kind of most people are going there and they're just kind of kidding themselves on how to work them. But then you got this like swing in the Pelican where they went beyond Goldilocks and went straight over to like, so they went from like the cold part right over to the roast and hot parts. And they kind of, yeah. like, like that optimal zone of where they really need to be. But like, yeah. uh, it, it kind of brings you to a question then of like exercise addiction and like mm-hmm. addiction, addiction has been a thing I've, I've, I've been, I haven't been really investigating it too much. What, what I've been investigating a lot lately, thanks to Pat Davidson, is this idea of dopamine and the reward system in the brain. Because I did a lot of research lately in skill acquisition, and they were saying that like um, uh, the dopaminergic effect of skill acquisition is very important to keep people motivated. So they, they'll keep wanting to get, keep going back and practice and get better. You know, mm-hmm. no, no matter what the, the skill acquisition is, be it in sport or like music or anything. But uh, so like. W- like the thing with addiction is that when you say addiction to most people, they automatically think drugs and alcohol, but like so many things are addictive. Like people have like food addictions and then they have like uh, addictions to like certain habits. They have plants for their day, like coffee can become an addiction, like, uh, 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 like uh, sex can become an addiction, uh, like loads of things. So exercise is another form of addiction. And you can see a lot of people who self-medicate on exercise. Mm-hmm. And I suppose... Like the question, myself and James have kind of spoken about this before, and I just like to get your perspective on it. Like, to you, when does exercise go from being beneficial to a destructive addiction? You know, when, where is that line? Like, you know, is, you know, like, when can we differentiate between it again being beneficial and uh, a detriment to somebody? Again, if, 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 their, if their goal is just longevity and health, and they think, that they have to absolutely dog themselves every day in terms of exercise to 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 get the benefit, and obviously it's it's it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy and addiction again that they need their hit then or they they need their crack cocaine every day, you know. And then you're trying to you're trying to tell them that uh, you ever hear eighty twenty like twenty percent times what you want to be doing, but you're doing it like hundred percent of the time. Mm. So yeah, your yeah. your thoughts on like exercise addiction and kind of where where is that line between it being again beneficial uh, and detrimental? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly think that if you were to like, just look up the DSM criteria for, you know, a, a addiction or, a, you know, substance which, abuse, which you're looking at right now. I did. I actually, I searched it because I was interested in what, yeah, like what maybe popped up as like the, the main, um, the main criteria criteria, but you know, I, I know a lot of it would overlap into how we could define, you know, addictive behaviors in, uh, in exercise. And, you know, from my like little bit of psychology that I got when I was in, uh, you know, undergrad medical school, it's like the, the big categorization is like, if this thing starts to negatively impact other areas of your life. Yeah. And that's where I don't know that people are really tuned in anymore to like and just that that's the case for many people that are like addicted to something they're like oh it's not impacting the rest of my life i mean you know i I can i can function i'm totally fine like i'm totally they don't they don't don't have perspective to see how how much it is impacting the rest of their life they start to get little like little voices you know inside their head might mention something periodically like huh why is my why do my knees always hurt you know or like why do my uh gosh why 
why have I, I've been having diarrhea for like, you know, days and days or like, you know, they just, there's little yeah. physical symptoms and then there's emotional um, and energetic symptoms that people might be having. Um, but the link between those and their, their excessive exercise or their high, too high of an intensity exercise program hasn't really connected yet. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something I thought of when you were talking about this before we got into the, you know, labeling it like addiction was, I think it's important to recognize where I, you know, in, in, in my mind, where this all kind of stems from. It's like, nobody just goes and starts punishing themselves in train. I mean, very few people go and punish themselves in training uh, to the level that they can punish themselves today without a model of what that looks like in front of them that looks appealing and sexy. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I saw my friends doing it, so I wanted to try it, right? Well, here they are seeing their, you know, the, the fitness role models crushing it. You know, it's like there many of the people we're talking about are in the CrossFit space and, the, and they're, you know, they're, they're doing CrossFit or they're doing high intensity functional training, whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's motivated by now a sport that is played like a sport should be played to the highest degree of capability and physical, you know, tolerance. Mm. And that is not what most people come to the table with. Uh, they don't have that, that kind of environment that they can push themselves yet. They're inspired by what they see, you know, those figures, those, those athletic figures in CrossFit doing at the highest level. So they start to, to mimic that. And then, and then really the person that's a link between that is the coach, right? Because the coach in many CrossFit gyms is like me, super inspired by the CrossFit games, sees what they're doing. I'm going to do some of that for myself because that's what gets me excited. And then that starts to influence our subconscious. Like, oh, I'm going to coach people this way. Oh, that's what they need too. So it's, it's this trickle down through mm-hmm. facility owners and coaches ultimately to, you know, the, the, the end consumer who's just this innocent person who comes in and says, I want to get fit. And then they're like, yeah, this is how you get fit. Check yeah, out those, but, the posters on the wall. Go ahead. Yeah, but sorry, but, 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 but the, that person who comes in that just say, again, just for lack of a better term, that lay person fit to them. What they mean in their head is health. They're, I'm just here to be healthier and live longer. But they, the, oh, the, yeah. But then, the, then they get like miseducated that like, you know, fitness and health are the same thing. And they're just, they're just nuts. They're not. So yeah, yeah, they're just two completely different things. Like, you know, fitness is uh, defined as um, like is uh, the, the ability to perform a specific task. So for instance, like, cause I used to teach at the personal training college and I always say to the, to, to the students, because I knew what they'd say. I'd say, who's fitter, powerlifter or a marathon runner? And they'd always go, the marathon runner. I'm like, mm, who's fitter to, to lift the heaviest weight to squat bench and deadlift? And they go, oh, the powerlifter. I was like, yes, fitness is, is task-specific. So it, 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 you got to be very specific with that. But people, the, again, saying the more general pop person, they confuse that like fitness equals health i was like no 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 no. that's not yeah yeah the the general population person just doesn't have vocabulary they they actually don't they haven't confused anything when they walk in they just say they just say the word that they yeah hear in media oh i want to be fit they don't know that they oh you want to be healthy you want to have better energy you want to have better circadian rhythms you want to have you know better digestion like they don't know any of that stuff yet and so you're right it's a miseducation on the part of uh you know but they, but they, but, but, but they think like high elite sports people are 
like the healthiest people in the world. It's like no, no, they're they're fit to do their their specific sport, but they're but if you know they're not healthy in terms of just like global yeah. human longevity capability. I don't. I mean, I actually don't know. I don't know about that. I know that they recognize that they're super fit. But the other thing I hear often, super often, especially being a very fit athlete, was mm-hmm. I don't want to be like you. I just want to. I just want to get in shape. You know, like oh, I I don't want to do what you're doing. I, I'm not gonna. You know, like true. Yeah, true. I, I do. I do believe that that like your lay person coming into a gym isn't of this like delusion that that they're going to suddenly become, you know, the, the next NFL player. Yeah. If they just yeah, follow yeah. the training program. They know that there's a separation, whether they believe, you know, Jerry Rice was the healthiest person on the planet when he was in his prime or not. I think it's in, like, it's not real. I mean, I don't know if that's in, influencing the conversation too much. What is influencing the conversation the most is that middle ground where the coach sits there and says, oh, if we do it like the elite people do it, you're going to be healthy. And that is confusing people. And then, but they're buying it. They're eating it up until year two or year one, year two, year three, where they're like, huh, something's not right. What's good? What's not right? And how do we, how do we fix that? How do we change that? Yeah, I guess like a story I always tell is like, you, from where, like, just I've heard these stories sometimes, like you'd often hear, you'd often like hear these stories about like, there was this guy, Jerry, and he was in his fifties and he jogged every day uh, but Jerry was like in, he was a hedge fund manager. He was so healthy. He didn't smoke. Uh, you know, so this is like people saying this. I knew Jerry, you know, jogged every day at lunchtime, but he looked horrendous. Like, you know what I mean? And then, like he was stressed. To the, like, so again, Jerry was, was, was fit, yeah. was, was fit from a aerobic standpoint to jog like 25 minutes every lunch hour from, you know, from one to between one and two on his lunch break. And everyone was like, he was so healthy. And you're like, and you're trying, this is what I'm trying. You're trying this. Jerry was not healthy. Healthy people don't die of heart attacks at 50 years of age unless it's like an absolute, like it's one of those like pure genetic things or whatever. This, this is obviously epigenetical. Like, you know, he, he had a heart attack because his life was not healthy. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're confusing his fitness ability to be able to do like a 25-minute jog at lunch and equating that to him being healthy. And again, as I was saying, like fitness is, is, uh, is task-specific. It's the ability to complete a specific task. Like, so people, again, confuse with fitness and health. But again, you're right, though. I mean, the, the layperson really shouldn't be like like – like it, it's not surprising that layperson's not, but it, it it's frustrating when a coach doesn't know that and doesn't educate somebody on that. Totally, yeah, one hundred percent agree. So listen, you, you get asked about this all the time, so I'm actually not going to ask you. <laughs> it's kind of like Brian Mann about velocity-based training. He did like ten million podcasts on velocity-based training. I said Brian, I'm actually not going to talk about that, and he goes, "Thank God." <laughs> So like every everyone goes, Mark is functional body, but tell me about tell me about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at this stage, I'm kind of like I can hear you going, oh, okay, functional body. <laughs> so because we've got tons of other stuff we want to talk about, but uh, I really want to ask you this question. Um, so Noah, your daughter, um, mm-hmm. fatherhood, how's how's it been, and and like how has your life changed? And and before you answer that, the reason I asked that is Eric Cress was on the Bruce Trent podcast, and he said something very profound. He says fatherhood makes you realize how selfish you were before you became a father in terms of like your life. So I, I found his story like very interesting. It's like, cause your whole life before kids is just you, then it's you and your partner. And then it's like you, your partner and the puppy. And then it's like, it's not just odd with the kids. <laughs> but I, how, how, how have you found fatherhood? Um, well, I don't mean to, I mean, I, this isn't, I'm not saying this to say like, well, I was, I was more forward thinking than Eric Cressy, but 
I knew how selfish I was before I had a baby. <laughs> I mean, I played the game called CrossFit, which is like the number one selfish sport of the, you know, I mean, I, it's year round, not nonstop. We don't have an off season to go and take the family on a vacation or go with my wife on a trip. And, you know, it, it dictated every aspect of our life. And so I knew how selfish I was. Um, and fatherhood just confirmed that, I suppose. Um, it's, uh, we, it has been um, an exercise in, I think the biggest thing that's changed for me is uh, recognizing how, how much energy, you know, it requires to maintain healthy relationships in, in life. Yeah. Um, you know, the relationship with my wife, the relationship with my, you know, employees, uh, friends, um, because when, you know, when Noah was born, you know, there was suddenly this huge, um, demand on my time and it just didn't leave what, it, you know, other things will get done, right? You will go and work because you need to earn a living to support the lifestyle that you have. Mm. You know, you will feed yourself because if you don't feed yourself, you will start to get sick and die. You know, you will bathe yourself. Like people talk about like, oh, I'm taking a shower days. You'll get to pick, you'll get back to taking a shower. Like you'll do all those things, but the relationships to the people that are closest to you, those are easy to say, I, I can't get to that. I can't get to that. You know, um, because now you have a relationship to this other person that is, that they're so de they're dependent, their life is dependent on you. Uh, and so that becomes the priority. And that's, um, something that I, I definitely took for granted, uh, in what I had set up and built in my life, you know, like the time, the quality time that me and my wife set aside for each other daily, weekly, you know, prior to the baby, right. It got, it got challenged. It got challenged with, the, you know, with this thing that we love so much that came into our life. Um, and so it's really made me, uh, look at, you know, how, how much am I giving towards those, those parts of my life, those people, um, yeah. without, without, I mean, while also being completely like, you know, honest with myself that I can't stop being committed to these other areas of my life that really feel like obligations and feel really like big responsibilities. Like I have to keep working. I, I have to keep training. I have to keep doing all these things. And now I have fewer and fewer minutes or hours within a week to spend with the people that I care about. So, and that's a, that's, it's a, I, I believe it's going to be like a, you know, it's a finite window of parenting where there's like a, there's several years where you're just, in it because you gotta just these these kids take so much energy and time to to truly raise properly um and it's in that time that like i want to keep my relationship super healthy with my wife i want to keep my relationship with my family super healthy i want i want my coaches to know i care about them and it's just difficult it's super difficult mm -hmm. uh, listen i really appreciate you being so honest there and you, you kind of went down the area I wanted to go down in terms of it, it kind of loops back to the question again about like, you know, like not, not so much exercise addiction, but again, exercise being beneficial to your life rather than a detriment. And because like, 
this is the area that I was kind of going with that question is that like you know if it's if it's like if it's like interfering with you being like more flexible with your time schedule and taking other people's uh, needs into consideration and see and then like there's another flip side to that question too and that like you know some people are all are like oh you're very selfish you always think about yourself and like you're your your exercise and your nutrition because like i i live through this as well and i'm single like i've been all obligations so i also look at like people like yourself go, how do they do that like not even not only do they have a partner they have a, a child like but then you can flip that and say yeah but if i don't get the, like if i don't get like my exercise in and i don't get my nutrition i'm not a good person to be around like i i need that it's a stabilizing factor if i get that done i'm far better than to get your obligations that need not i just you know just as long as i get it's probably just a question of time management you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i i've i've been in a position of leadership and mentorship and coaching with people for a number of years now and a lot of them you know preceded me in being parents right so like my average member at my gym for years was a parent you know, and watching them go through this child, uh, you know, raising process. <laughs> I, you, were, you were like, oh, Dad. well, no, I was, I was preaching the same things that you just said. I was saying, no, you got to take time for yourself. Otherwise you're not going to be a good parent or you got to take, and, and they're probably looking at me like this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Doesn't have kids. Like he's just, yeah. and so here I am doing it. And I still am trying to hold very true to those same principles that I've coached and educated people on. Mm. You know, I got to get in my training. My wife has to get in her training. Yeah. You know, yeah. for me, it's a little easier because I literally, my office is in a gym so I can just walk out there and do something. Mm. But talk, think about how many fitness trainers are out there that don't exercise because they just keep themselves too busy. They don't make time for it. It's too many. Right. Um, so we're trying to live those same principles because we know that if we eat well, if we move our bodies daily, if we, you know, take some time for ourselves. And I talked about this with my wife. It's like, if I get my shit done, then when I come home at the end of the day, it's going to be the best hour and a half with, with Noah possible. Yeah. If I don't get my shit done, I'm going to come home. I'm going to be preoccupied. I'm going to be thinking about the emails I didn't get to. I'm going to be thinking about, you know, that I feel crappy and I'm feeling kind of like my body doesn't feel good because I haven't moved in a couple of days. Like, it's just night and day. Yeah. I, I think another thing too is a, a lot of us have fallen down the trap that if we don't like, again, it goes back to this idea of like, you know, did we put in a good hard session? And a lot of us fall in that trap that like if, if we didn't train, we weren't active that day. And yet, like, mm -hmm. you, you talk about, and actually, I'm going to ask this question has the guy walked past the office yet? <laughs> the guy <laughs> no actually i've been so focused down here i haven't seen him but i imagine he has <laughs> the walking guy and, and you know what there's a, there's a really good part in ben greenfield's book beyond training where he talks about this he gives this hypothetical situation of two people a guy and a woman and one guy's all about like just training like, he's triathlete all about training all about training all about training and like he's always like rushing around like eating like bussing and he's always like stressed out and then he talks with this other woman uh, who's a triathlete and she's like this woman, she doesn't train. She only does like three hard sessions a week. She does. She cycles everywhere. She gardens. She spends loads. She socializes. And he's just like, you know, it's just like they both are at the same level in terms of competitiveness. Like you know what I mean, or whatever. They're, they both have. And he was just like that. She is far more balanced and understands like, you know, like they're recreational triathletes. But he, he was trying to make the point that people like 
they kind of confuse like this, you know, that, that it has to be like this all just like 100% balls out all the time. And he's just like, you actually can get like a lot of shit done through just general healthy activities, making sure you get your step count in, you're looking after your food, like in terms of keeping yourself in shape, people are afraid they'll just like their muscles will disintegrate and they'll start putting on body fat. I was like, no, there's a lot of really healthy people who do not like train at a very high intensity who are just really active, cycle everywhere, walk everywhere, understand like uh, portion sizes with their meals, have great social networks. Like, and you run into these people and you go, that person's oh, so happy so healthy they never walk into a gym and they, yeah. look, they look great right and isn't that just like what we as coaches are are striving to be able to educate our clients on is like this is how you can be super healthy and balanced in your life and you don't have to do you know the crazy workouts um but, 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 but marcus a lot of those coaches they may appreciate but they don't live that they're, they're the coaches that are like like now obviously it's everyone but these are the coaches again who have these issues of like did they have to train like you know dog themselves and they're the very person who wouldn't take that advice you know even though yeah, there's, 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 there's that that's that's one problem and the other problem is that um you tell somebody that i believe that there's right now a lot of pe- like potential customers out there that might hear you preach that and they'll be like okay well if that's the case i don't need to pay you 350 bucks a month for coaching uh, to go do that point. that's a good point. so then the coaches are like oh i actually got to give them a little bit more than what they probably truly need in order for them to feel like they're getting something from me you yeah. know like yeah. i don't want to like i'm gonna go i'm gonna do id coaching with you great your prescription is two workouts a week that's your ideal paying you for two workouts a week that's it it's like i, I thought i was gonna get like five days of workouts like no no no, no. Two days is perfect. The other days you're gonna go walk. They're like, why? Why do I have to pay you all this money for that? You know? Or, yeah. Well, you can, you could set up a model where it's two intense days and the other three days are more moderate. But again, you, that's still an education piece you have to give them because I know Joel Jameson's trying to do that. He calls them high intensity recovery sessions, and he says, or not sorry, he calls them high performance recovery sessions. And he's like, I actually had to name them high performance recovery sessions. So people would actually like coming oh high performance recovery sessions and he's just like yes you're doing recovery today yeah but isn't that sad that we're like having to trick our clients or yeah. just trying to like trick people into thinking that like they're getting more than what they're actually getting or you know and and that's some that's like maybe that's a, a gap that we need to bridge with you know a fitness coach's goal or role with you is to truly help you discover what is going to make you feel the best and if they believe and they know that less is more in your in your particular instance um then that's worth their you know their monthly coaching rate and that's actually really what you need yeah. all right so that uh, we kind of went we slipped away there from fatherhood but listen i really appreciate again being very open and honest there and um just wrapping up here with a few things uh the revival nutrition why what what made you want to start the the, the supplement brand uh, Revival Rex got started because when I first started coaching with James many years ago, I got, you know, nutrition, uh, consulting with that. And actually I worked with somebody who was uh, working right side by side with him at the time. Um, and I got kind of, you know, here's your script for how you should be feeling yourself. And there were not really options on the market that that would provide what I, what I wanted to have. So mm-hmm. I started just blending up my own in, ingredients and, um, yeah, over time, you know, I had clients that were asking me, Hey, what are you doing? How can I, what's a good way to, you know, feel myself and what should I take? And, um, I started 
you know, rather than saying, Hey, go to the vitamin shop or go to GNC and grab this thing. I was like, well, you could buy this. And that's just sort of selling kind of, uh, my own pre mixed stuff, like it as little, you know, Ziploc bags in my office. <laughs> um, well, like, do you, do you mean, do you mean you were actually making your own protein powder or making just like your own drinks with, 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 with an external brand at the time? Like, like were you making, no, it was like, like I would get like raw whey protein isolate from a manufacturer. I would get raw dextrose and maltodextrin and fructose oh. and glutamine. And uh, I would, you know, take, 50 grams of this and 25 grams of this and put it in a bag and mix it up and then scoop that into a shaker. And so you would, it was, you would love Ben escrow from De Novo nutrition. I had him on my own podcast and he, he, uh, he, De Novo had their own supplement brand now, but Ben, Ben is actually back doing a master's in like pharmacology. Like he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's getting, he's, a, he's like you and, and, uh, well, not so much me cause I don't have the muscles you guys have, but I call him an intellectual meathead. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, he he did the same thing. He said he like he used to just get all these ingredients and like he just like would be in his kitchen. He had like a lab, like he had everything. Like and he was like making, right. and like he started making like like multivitamin tablets for everyone. And he did all his major sure. supplements, scars. But you look. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's all. I mean, I just started doing that, and then uh, you know, it started out as a small thing that was basically just there to service the people in my gym. And you know, I put a. a Started putting once I stopped wanting to do it myself, I had a, like a little private, you know, label company mix the packages for me, and uh, rather than just sell a unlabeled. Then they required if I was going to have somebody do it, they required that I put, you know, USDA kind of labels and um, uh, supplement facts on there um, if they were going to work with me. So mm-hmm. then I just came up with a name that felt like it aligned with my you know, core values. And, um, anyway, that's how it kind of got started. And then from there, you know, it kind of grew just through word of mouth and, um, that's where it is today. Sweet. But sweet. The biggest lessons you've learned so far in your life. What would you say um, the biggest lessons now it could be just one or it could be a few, but what would you say have been the biggest things you've learned so far? Well, if you, if you, if you start down a path, no matter how much momentum is behind it, you're never stuck. You can always change the course of your life. Um, that was my medical school, you know, lesson. Yeah, yeah. Um, that if you're, if you, if you strip away all the labels that you have, um, you know, have or the lesson is uh, get to know who you are once all the labels are stripped away. If you're not the CrossFit Games athlete, you're not the CrossFit coach. How would one do that? um, Remove yourself from all of those things. And I did that post-college. And uh, I found that through, you know, a spiritual practice, through traveling the world and um, putting myself in kind of just remote areas and getting outside of my comfort zone. Uh, That... By doing that, I just discovered a lot more of what like really fuels me and feeds me as a person and of what my gifts are. And, um, and that I think that, uh, a lesson that I'm, I'm coming face to face with now is that, um, you know, whatever core fears, um, and anxieties that I have had in my life, you know, that manifested in like one area, 
you know, by escaping that area and thinking, oh, they're attached to that one thing that I used to do. Um, those, those core fears and things like, um, they stay with you <laughs> until you address them for what they are, yeah. which has nothing to do with what you did before. You know, mm. me being an anxious, you know, pre-med student who had bouts of depression, et cetera. Like, like that wasn't because of being a pre-med because of how I interacted with it and I could change my environment uh, and those things could still follow me even if I was doing something I was more passionate about. Um, they'll manifest in new ways. So yeah, those are some of them for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate you being so honest there. What is, what is, what, sorry, excuse me. What current book are you reading and what is your top book recommendation? Um, my, my current book um, I just finished two simultaneously, uh, never lose a customer again. And, um, it's just really interesting. It's like the, the life cycle of a customer in the first hundred days and yeah, how, really good. um, and then, uh, kitchen confidential, which is the third or fourth time I've read it, but that's Anthony Bourdain's, um, kind of first, first book that he wrote, which, uh, kind of sent me down a really great life path um, and an influential person to me and who recently um, passed away. So uh, I read his book shortly after hearing his, the news of his death. Oh. And um, yeah. And those, so those were, those are both uh, recent reads, but I think kitchen confidential for me is, uh, is a book that will stand as one of my all time most influential books that I ever read. Um, and yeah, not for, you know, if, if anybody listening has read that book, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure they're thinking, well, that's not a super profound book, but, uh, you know, just talking about his, you know, career as a cook where he was basically, you know, screwing up his whole life. Um, but it got me to, it got me to, to travel. It got me to get out of my comfort zone. It got me to go explore culture through food and, uh, you know, yeah, take, take some risks that I maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and it set me down a path where I had, uh, like a two year period of self-discovery that was some of the most influential time in my life. So yeah, that book was, was huge for me. Sounds like a book I can resonate with you saying he's screwing up all his life. I screw up every fucking moment of every day. <laughs> it's, all, it's all part of the learning experience, baby. But yeah. uh, last few fire, fire, uh, fire round questions. I mean, if you you gotta go, you you gotta go. Don't worry about it. Um, I was gonna ask you, yeah. So that they your your current and top book recommendations in terms of just resource or a resource. What would be your your top resource as the audience? So like again, that could be you've already mentioned a book, but like it could be maybe a podcast, it could be an online course, it could be a person, it could be some sort of continuing education. Hmm. Um, the awaken awaken training series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, right? Um, you know, I, I've been, yeah, I'd say really like the last two years of my life have been have been from a as a professional. Um, I've been very much in a creative, you know, creative space and less in a learning space. 
Um, and that's not to say I don't learn. I mean, the biggest source of learning on a day-to-day -day basis is my training and is my relationship to Mike and is that, that like the thought and energy I bring to how does my training, what does that mean in the bigger picture of, of fitness for mm -hmm. others? Um, and I'm taking that and creating programs and creating material that I think would resonate with the audience that's out there. So that's to me like where I'm creating and learning simultaneously. It's, uh, it's how do I synthesize the last 15 to 20 years of my fitness experience into something that's digestible for the lay person or the person who's in that category of like overextending themselves with fitness. Um, how do I help bring them back to a place that's more balanced and what's the, what's the method for delivering that? And that's kind of, you know, that's, you know, the topic we didn't really touch on too much, but that's what functional bodybuilding has been for me. It's not just a, a way to like show kind of, you know, shirtless demo videos on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's a way to hopefully capture people's attention using whatever means necessary, whether it's sex cells or flashy name or, you know, or, or, or people's, you know, or social media, but to just, to get the message out there that there's a, there's a way to kind of find balance in training and life because I was up against a wall in 2016 at the end of 2016, 2017, where I was transitioning from this super high intensity competitive career mm. in CrossFit to starting a new business to having a daughter and still wanting to stay committed to fitness and generally feel good. Um, so yeah, that's it. Sweet. You've one year left on planet earth. How would you spend that year? And I'm just going to plug in my laptop while you think about that. Cause my battery's low. Keep going. Though. Sure. Yeah. One year left. Um, I mean, I would just, I would get pretty, uh, I mean, I'd do a lot of the same things I'm doing today. I just would, I would make more time for those people closest to me in my life and ensure that, you know, when my time was up that they felt as though they got everything that they could for me through whether it's experience or knowledge or just for, you know, just friendship. Um, yeah. I don't know. These questions always get me emotional because I think about like, well, why would I live this coming year any different than man, last man, year? Man, I asked you the question. I think about that every day. Thought about it again today. You know, for yeah. one year, and then you're thinking, why don't I do it? Yeah. <laughs> then, like, yeah. you know, there's that voice going, "Cause you're afraid. You have fear. Mm. You're uncertain." Yeah. Right. And uh, and I or or my you know the reason for me is that I have and I talked about this as one of the life lessons. It's like I've got core anxieties that drive me to do things that may not necessarily when I take a step back, be how I want to, you know, be seen or yeah. be experienced in life. And so, um, Oh, yeah. I like, I like what you said there being experienced in life. I like that. That's a nice sound boy. Again, listen, I appreciate the, 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 you know, you've been so open and honest. I can, this is why I, this is why I love these podcasts and these conversations, but, um, I appreciate that last two for you. 
your mm-hmm. your tips for the CrossFit Games. So who do you think is going to win it? And uh, do you think is is there anyone people should be keeping an eye out on? Um. Gosh, I mean, I I think it's uh... like it's hard. It's hard to look beyond both Tia and Matt, you know. But uh, right, maybe more so Matt with the men. But uh, for whatever reason, this is just me personally. Uh, the, I just love Frakowski. I just love his whole attitude. I think he's great. <laughs> you like he just me too. I just that's funny you mentioned that. I, I've literally been doing some back and forth DM messages with Brent the last couple of days because I really want to get him on this as well. Yeah, he'd be great. A great guest. No, my daughter, the other day, we caught a video of her uh, sipping a Zevia soda, you know, like the zero calorie soda that he's sponsored by. Yeah, It was like her first time tasting something this sweet. And it's the funniest fucking video ever. She just loses her mind like, what? You know, and so I sent it to him. He got a kick out of it. But um, (laughs) she's like, your daughter was like, "Why? Why have I not experienced this already?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like him. I like I think Fraser and and Tia are going to be obviously uh, you know tough to beat again. Um, I think Annie has been awesome to watch. Win kind of fell off, and then has just been climbing her way back. Yeah. And it's like she's had a crazy career, um, spanned a lot of years, and she doesn't seem to be slowing down. That's pretty cool. Um, I, and then I, for me, I think like, the, I want to say he's not a newcomer, but he kind of reminds me of like, um, uh, that, you know, BK Goodmanson. Uh, he was like, I remember first year he competed, he was like 25th. The next year he got a little higher and then he was like a podium finisher. He just went right up. Um, and now he's like always in the top 10 conversation. That guy, James Newberry from uh, Australia. Mm. I, I've just seen him like first year, qualified was like you know this 2016 did well you know actually didn't do that well at the games i think he's in like the 20 30 range last year was the top finisher out of or one of the top finishers out of australia got onto their you know their team for the for the invitational this year he i think he, he won the region like by a huge margin i think he won all the events i mean he was he was crushing the australia region not that it's the most competitive one out there but it's just like i'm seeing him go up and up so I don't know. He could probably pull a top 10 this year, which would be like, if, if and forgive me if he had got top 10 last year and I don't know that, but I don't know. He just jumps out to mine. Yeah. With the females too, this is me. I, I always really like Sarah Sigmund's daughter. I just like, like her. And I've seen videos of her, but I just like, I also get the sense she's just like, oh, trains. it's just like, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I don't, I don't think she's had a coach that's like really, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, no, what to do. I would love to see Mike Lee or like one of the people from OPEX. No, uh, no, Olsen be interesting because he's had to work with Max for the last year. Well, he's been with Max now for two, two oh, has, years. Has yeah, been. last year he was with Max too. And maybe even for a little bit the year before that, but no, definitely last year. And yeah, I mean, he was, he was fourth place last year. So he's, I mean, I think he's a, he's solid for one of the top spots, but again, you get into that top five, it's, it's tough. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, I've never spoken to Matt Fraser, so but if he, he's not going to watch or listen to this. But like, uh, like respect the hell of him, and only like I think he's, I think he's great. He's a fantastic athlete, great time. But I really love Vakowski and, and Felmer, the two Canadians. I just think they're gas. They're definitely Brent. He's just so funny. I just love everything about him. Oh yeah. Um, so he's gas. He is. But uh, I'd really love if he won. It'd be great. And obviously for the females, I want to kneel because of Opex. You know. 
and she, she did yeah. really well last year but uh final question for you bro uh we're going for dinner i ask everyone this so i don't know if you're prepared for this or not uh we're going for dinner and i say to you marcus you can bring five people to this dinner tonight and they can be dead or alive who are you going to bring to this dinner and why hmm. five people well, uh anthony bourdain is nice. going to come to dinner nice um I'm going to bring his, you know, best friend, Eric Repair, another chef. Cool. Just because I think that the conversation between those two would be extremely interesting. And uh, I'm going to bring, um, I'm going to bring Kevin Hart because I just fucking can't get enough of that guy. And I just know that it would be a fun time if he's, he's, a, he's, he's a funny around. man. Yeah, he's a funny, he's a funny man. man. And then to piggyback on that previous concept, like who does he play off, play well off of Conan O'Brien. Anytime I see those two together, they are like, it's just nonstop laughter. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I probably, and then maybe Conor McGregor, just cause I think that he's just a total mystery and he's a, he's, I don't know. I, I just find him to be uh, masterful as an athlete, but also masterful as like just a. Uh, he seems to just have put planted a vision of how he's going to play out his career, and he's just—it's like a chess game. He's like, okay, now I got to go and beat this. For, okay, I'm going to go do that. Okay, now I got to do this move, and just kind of interesting to to see that unfold. He's, he's only down the road from me. Is that right? Yeah, well, like Dublin's a small place, so that yeah, this yeah. is where, where Connor's from. He's from Dublin, so he's, he's you'd often see him around Dublin sometimes. Yeah. It's this very funny clip of where there's guys in 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 the inner city of Dublin, and like they're 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 pretending to be Connor, and then Connor yeah. Connor literally pulls up in the car right beside him, and like, oh, no way, it's McGregor. That's very very. Funny. I think he just got picked up by Nike. I just saw him post a, a picture. He's all Nike'd out. Probably and, did. He was Reebok for a while because he was with the UFC, but now I saw him with the big Nike. So That's he's basically he's finally on my team, is what I'm trying to say. As a Nike athlete, prior to Connor, welcome to the team, buddy. If you want to chat about what it's like to be a Nike athlete, you can call me. <laughs> That's funny because Roger Federer just left Nike. He went to another brand there now. So oh, he uh, did. Yeah, yeah. So they've I have McGregor on board now. Sure, Nike. They'll never be short of having top names associated with them. But, yeah. Uh, Listen, Marcus, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making time. I'll just wrap up the show here and I'll say goodbye to you offline. So for all the uh, audience, the viewers and the listeners, thank you so much for tuning into the OPEX podcast. Marcus, just finally, make sure you give people your details. So your website, maybe talk, just tell them about the Awaken Training Series, Functional Bible, where can they get all those details and, and your social media? Yeah. Um, follow me at Marcus Philly on Instagram and uh, functional.bodybuilding also on Instagram. Those are two different accounts. Um, be sure to sign up for our uh, my email list, which is at revival-strength.com. This will all be in and, the show notes, so you know, I'll put all that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, our email list is, uh, is kind of my platform to send out kind of weekly content and material that I'm, I'm called to write about, educational stuff, some functional bodybuilding material. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's... Uh, a good resource and other than that uh you know if you're local which i doubt there's going to be too many local listeners but they should definitely come and pay us a visit at uh you know what is opec san rafael or revival strength our gym and we love we love visitors to come from all over and visit us here in san rafael 
Uh, you do remote coaching too. So if someone's watching this and like, I think I'd like to be coached by Marcus uh, or, or one of the staff members. They can also go on the website and find out more about that. Yeah, all that stuff's at revivalstrength.com. Right, sweet, sweet. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Peace. Thanks so much.